the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to week 10 of the Conference USA football season. Ready to get into it on the Conference USA edition of the Underdog Podcast. Joe Lonergan, Eric Henry here with you once again. Hope you all are doing great this fine whatever day it is. Uh, it seems like we usually put this up on Thursdays, but um, we try to try to keep it fairly consistent. Eric, how are you doing today? How'd the uh, trip to Nashville go for you, brother? It was a great trip, man. You know, uh, I had never been to Nashville, and I was definitely curious as to what to expect. For those of you who have not been, the best way I can sum it up is it is Vegas South. Uh, a friend of mine, she lives right there on Music Row, and probably every 45 minutes from her balcony, we heard bachelorette parties and buses just, you know, driving past, blaring country music, and uh, it was a heck of a time, man. So um, I would recommend Anyone who has thought about going, or even if you haven't thought about going, because it wasn't on my you know, destination list at all outside of uh, heading to Murfreesboro, but Nashville's an awesome city. So, hell of a time. A little lighter in the wallet, but it's all good. <laughs> nice. There is a reason uh, white girls on Instagram call it Nash Vegas. So, glad you had a good time, man. Uh, yeah. but um... Better you say that than me, Mr. Wondergan. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, no, Nashville, of course, great sports town, great college football town specifically. So glad you could uh, glad you could take that in, man. Um, get a chance to interact with any uh, CUSA fans while you're around. Yeah, yeah, I know this is typically the portion of the podcast where you know I throw a quick jab at Joe for being in you know slightly inclement weather, but not that we've duck, uh, ducked the weather down here by any stretch of the imagination. Pretty rough, but uh, I want to take a minute just to thank those of you who have listened to the podcast. I've had quite a few people reach out to me via DM, uh, Twitter, or even in person, thanking us for essentially doing the podcast, which is really cool because, you know, Joe and I, we do this because we enjoy covering Conference USA football. You know, it's it's fun, and we enjoy the league, and I've heard from, you know, players or parents. You know, I won't go into a, a litany of guys I've heard, but, you know, I'll just name a couple. Um, Astro Harris, father Les, I want to thank him for reaching out. You know, I've heard from uh, Arvin Fletcher. Uh, offensive lineman Southern Miss heard for his father as well. Um, just a couple people from around the league, you know, fans, you know, just saying thanks for the coverage. Uh, just kind of, you know, I don't want to say overwhelmed or touched. You know, that sounds way too sappy. But uh, just, you know, the, the past couple of weeks have gotten a, a lot of people being very complimentary of the podcast and the three things piece that we do for Underdog Dynasty covering what you learn in Conference USA. So thank you very much for enjoying the podcast we greatly enjoy doing it and we will do it as long as underdog dynasty and sp nation will allow us to so appreciate it i can echo that sentiment as well it's uh it's just been a blast to uh keep doing this show and cover the league and i believe that actually marks one of the first instances in recent memory of a southern miss fan praising us so i appreciate that for sure <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be factual <laughs> Without further ado, then let's let's jump into the week nine recap, talking about Southern Miss and Rice from this past weekend. Uh, Golden Eagles win that one 20 to six. Honestly, I kind of expected this to be an even bigger beatdown than it actually was. Uh, 139 total yards for Rice on the day. No passing touchdowns for Southern Miss, which was probably the biggest surprise of the day for me anyway. Uh, first game they've actually done that this year. Uh, no, Had a game with no passing touchdowns, that is. Um, pretty decent day from Jack Abraham still. Um, but uh, yeah, Rice struggles continue to exist for them. And uh, meanwhile... Southern Miss shows they've uh, got a decent little running game there as well. Yeah, you know, just a couple quick points on both teams here. If you listen to this podcast, you know, something that I'm a huge fan of is seeing teams win in ways that they don't traditionally win. 
And for Southern Miss, the offense has really kind of carried the show. Not that the defense isn't talented, but it's really been the Jack Abraham, Quez Watkins, you know, Jalen Adams show as far as through the air really making plays. And the fact that Jack Abraham really had a pedestrian game, you know, very accurate as he normally is, 23 or 36 with 207, but didn't throw a touchdown, had one interception. The fact that the run game, 35 carries overall for a buck 57 and two touchdowns, find a way to kind of just, you know, get the job done against a Rice team that obviously they're more talented than, but it just it just goes to show that if you're going to make a push to win a conference, I just think you have to, you can't be a one-trick pony. You know, we'll talk about North Texas later on in the podcast, and they're kind of showing that they don't have that ability to kind of, you know, things don't go their way uh, defensively, uh, that the offense can carry them. And that, that's not a, a, a fault on their offense. They've carried the show for the past two years. But just finding a way to win in ways you don't traditionally win. So I'm a fan of that. As for Rice, the major takeaway for me, I'm a huge fan. I think you and I both are fans of Mike Bloomgren, what he's doing down there, kind of going away from the traditional spread offense, you know, taking that Stanford system and implementing it down there in Texas with that type of talent you can get on the offensive line and running backs. But at some point, you know, moral victories don't count. At some point, they're going to have to put victories on the scoreboard. And, Joe, six of their losses this year are by two scores. And, and by two scores, I don't mean, you know, it was some blowout. I mean that essentially they were in the game at some point in time. You know, this one they lose by, by 14 points. I believe there are, of those six games, the highest two-score loss, you know, is a, a 16-point loss that they had early in the year. So obviously that's two touchdowns, two-point two, two point conversions. So it's not like they're getting blown out by these teams. They're being very competitive. But at some point in time, you just wonder for, A, the fan base, and B, those players, you got to put a win up on the scoreboard to at least take some type of solace and saying, hey, all the work we're putting in off season through the week is paying off. Yeah, um, week to week, there it seems like they were having some pretty decent uh, improvement from the time Bloomgren came to campus. But from the last couple of weeks, it seems like they've regressed slightly. Would you agree with that? Um, I honestly know that I would say they've regressed. Although I think when you look at the counting numbers things look a little more, you know, like level of despair because um, it, it looked like they were putting some things together as far as quarterback play. And then, you know, the past couple of games, they've gotten good consistent running back play. I wouldn't say they've regressed just because it's hard to measure up. What do you measure that against when, you know, I believe Mike Bloomington's record is two and 19. Um, so at the end of the day, a loss is a loss, you know, sure there's a difference between getting blown up by 40 and losing by two scores, but it's kind of hard to measure that regression when overall, you know, the offense has kind of been an Achilles heel for the past two years. Would you not agree there? That the offense has been the Achilles heel? Uh, I mean, yes. yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I'd still maintain they've definitely looked significantly better this year now that they at least seem to be used to that Stanford style system that Bloomgren has uh, put in place. Okay, no, I, mean, I would agree with that. I just think that, you know, maybe I wouldn't go say that it's regression just because. You know, like I mentioned, you got to put wins on the scoreboard somehow, and it's kind of hard to measure that regression against other losses. So that's fair. Um, either way, with a two and nineteen record, uh, I gotta feel like Bloomgren's got to start putting together some wins. Um, you know, understand? You know, I, I think he definitely deserved a year zero last year. Um, but regardless, I feel like there's got to be some frustration in that Rice fan base being still winless this year. So hopefully we see that uh, come soon for them, uh, sooner rather than later. Um, as much as I want to keep putting off talking about this uh, Western Kentucky loss, let's let's get into that. Uh, 2019 edition of the Moonshine Throwdown. Uh, Marshall takes that one 26-23. to 
Uh, really great all-around game from Isaiah Green from what I was able to see. Uh, 230 yards passing, passing touchdown, and a rushing touchdown for him. Um, and if you talk about something that was a big difference maker in this game, it's got to be special teams because Western Kentucky kicking has really consistently not been good the last couple of weeks. Uh, four points was uh, was the difference here. Uh, Marshall won by three, and um, if uh, Corey Munson had made uh, his missed field goal and made that extra point, that would have been the the win for Western Kentucky. But, um, you know, that's not what happened. And they uh, they get a loss in their in their conference record finally. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned special teams. For me, I'm going to go ahead and give credit to two guys specifically, one being Marquise Couch. The second week in a row, he just put up fantastic numbers, you know, three sacks. The kid is just really uh, – I mean, he's been one of the better defensive players in Conference USA for his entire time, but now he's finally getting to the quarterback and, you know, those sacks, putting up those big numbers. So he's making kind of a late push there at a, you know, maybe a dark horse defensive player of the year run. But the other guy is Isaiah Green because, you know, I've talked about him ad nauseum. You've talked about him a lot on this podcast. It's it's not – Ike is immensely talented. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But as he continues to grow, I think Marshall fans would just like to see him not, you know, not lose the game. Uh, and that's what he did, you know, on Saturday. 20-31 for 231 touchdown, but more importantly, no turnovers. It's fair to say that there's enough talent on this Marshall team to where if they don't shoot themselves in the foot, specifically Isaiah Green, the rest of the, the team will take care of itself. You know, Brendan Knox is a talented guy. You know, they're still doing all of this without Obi Obialo, who you know, was out for the year and by all accounts was going to be their number one receiver heading into the year. Now, when you take it from the Western point of view, you mentioned the special teams. I think what I was impressed with as far as Western. Now, Ty Story's numbers, a lot of that is going to be the fact that they had to throw to get back into the game. But, you know, I just think that kind of outburst from Lucky Jackson, 16 catches for 168 yards, that's something that, you know, it just gives me hope that should Western get into a shootout and there's a game that they need to, you know, go tit for tat throwing the football, they can do that. But all things considered, Western got off to a slow start and they weren't able to play catch up quickly enough and the special teams miscues cost them. And now we've got a heck of a race in Conference USA East. Yeah, I feel like the big weakness of a team where your running back is your best offensive player. And I would argue that's the case for Western and Gage Walker is you really cannot afford to get off to slow starts the way they did in this game. No, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you are a rushing team, we just talked about right. You know, the fact that they've had quarterback struggles. Uh, if you're a team that's going to emphasize the run and then you have to turn to the pass, uh, Middle Tennessee State's another team that I would put in that uh, category. You know, Asher O'Hara is still developing as a passer. So if they get behind, you know, maybe they're not fully equipped to, you know, go shoot out, you know, with a guy like in terms of uh, maybe like a North Texas could, you know, put up points really quickly. That's a great point you make there. If your foundation is the run and you get behind, uh, it really does hamper your chances to uh, really put together a comeback and uh, win the game. Speaking of North Texas, you mentioned their ability to put up points. Uh, only took them so far this week as they lose on a last-second touchdown pass from Chris Reynolds to Victor Tucker in that uh, road game against the Charlotte 49ers. Uh, the final score of that one, 39-38. to um, Five touchdowns from Mason Fine. Uh, he's continuing to really perform in the way that uh, I think most of us thought he would, but at the same time, it, it's just continually not been enough. And um, despite, you know, some good contributions from Trey Siggers as well. So, um I think that defense um, kind of reverting to what they looked like the year before last, where they just really um, they were the Achilles heel of that team for sure. Um, 
And uh, while they have been playing fairly well this year, at the same time, uh, they've just had these spots where they've played so bad it, it ends up having results like this. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to call out one person specifically, but you talked about the defense that, you know, last year maybe that was a blip, maybe that was kind of an aberration that they were able to, you know, play above their talent or play above, the, you know, their kind of their, their average there. Um, because defensive coordinator Troy Reffitt, uh, it's someone, someone that you might have to look at in sense. You know, North Texas, their scoring defense, they're 12th in Conference USA. Uh, in terms of total defense, they are 13th in Conference USA, right above Middle Tennessee State. And there's no doubt about it that the defense is really what's holding this team back, which is, like I said on previous podcasts, it's somewhat surprising because I do think they have talented players like Kahiri Muhammad, but you just can't expect Mason Fine to bail you out. Five touchdowns, no interceptions. You know, you mentioned Trey Siggers. He bounces back. The offense puts up that many points. But give credit to Charlotte. 14-point fourth-quarter comeback. Chris Reynolds, you know, he's a guy who uh, he's, he's just – I mean, I don't know how you feel about him, Joe, but he's just a gamer. I mean, when you look at him on paper, he's a guy who you, you think, all right, he's kind of that second-tier sort of Conference USA quarterback who isn't equipped to bring you back from behind, but he just finds ways to make plays. You know, he, he's intangible, I think, is the best way to describe his game. And Victor Tucker is a talented receiver. Of course, we talk about Benny LeMay. Give credit to Will Healy's team. You know, they managed to uh, get club lit going there in Charlotte, and they pull up the upset. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Chris Reynolds has just been really, really solid this year. I feel like he – just he's played with some kind of great resolve and clearly has a lot of good chemistry with Victor Tucker. Um, and anytime you have a guy that can come up that clutch in a game that uh, not a lot of people expected them to win, given how the last couple of weeks have gone. Uh, obviously you got to be really happy if you're coach Healy. So uh, good on them. They're the better team in green this week. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, meanwhile, in Nashville, Eric, you were present for this one. MTSU 50, FIU 17, 471 rush yards for MTSU and just 25 passing yards. I have to ask, was this as bizarre to watch in person as I imagine it was? Joe, it was one of the most bizarre, bewildering football games I think I've ever seen in person or otherwise. You know, first off, this was a 17-14 game at the half. Despite the fact that FIU turned it over twice, you know, they had the lead and were playing well. You know, they, yes, uh, the Middle Tennessee State rushing attack had played well in the first half. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Uh, I didn't bring back some of the, uh, the hard copies as far as the box score and things of that nature. But the rushing attack hadn't gotten off to that, you know, tremendous boost that you normally see when teams choose to run the football against FIU. As a matter of fact, Asher O'Hara had actually made some plays through the air as a, as a passer. Um, you know, they, they, even though he only threw for 25 yards, they had 10 of their 12 pass attempts in the first half. So they were making the effort to throw the football in the first half. Then, and I don't know if you happen to see any of my tweets or anything like that, but just uh, I'll call it the monsoon in Murfreesboro. I mean, the sky just opened up. And not only was it rainy, it was windy. And that caused, you know, a huge issue. So Middle Tennessee State got the ball, um, opened the second half, and they just ran it. They, I think it was nine straight runs at a certain point in time. 
ran it down to take the the uh, the lead. FIU manages to uh, to on the following Middle Tennessee Street Middle Tennessee State drive hold them to three despite being backed up in their own territory due to uh, a kickoff fumble by Maurice Alexander. And then from there, the floodgates just opened up. And and it just Joe, it was weird because you know sure you don't know how your team is going to respond, especially in a you know those type of uh, weather elements, but FIU just fell apart. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Middle Tennessee State came out there. They played confident. They played aggressive. You know, I talked to a couple of FIU assistant coaches after the game, uh, and, and they said, hey, you know, they just took it to us. We just got out physical in the second half. Um, and I just don't it, – it, it's just bewildering that FIU came out there and they looked – I'm not trying to, you know, uh, um, demean the players, but they looked like they had never played in rain ever or, or seen rain for that matter with some of the miscues they had. You know, offensively, the third quarter was really the Achilles heel for FIU, negative four total yards in comparison to Middle Tennessee State's 171 yards in the third quarter. And then, yes, you talked about the 471 rushing yards, you know, Asher O'Hara, you know, two touchdowns on the ground, but had 168 yards. Um, uh, Terrell West was a guy who he had been, you know, anemic as far as the rushing game goes the past three weeks. He busts out for over for uh, 130, I believe, in one touchdown. So, Overall, I mean, it was not necessarily the most fun night to talk to Butch Davis postgame. Um, and, I mean, with all things considered, give credit to Middle Tennessee State because they're trying to, you know, they're much better than their 3-5 and five record says. We can, attack, we can say that affirmatively. You know, they had to play those Power 5 games early on, so they're a decent football team. FIU, for their 4-4 four and four record, their wins have not come against teams that have been, you know, quality competition. And that's something that if you're an FIU fan or as part of the FIU coaching staff, you got to look yourself in the mirror and figure out what are we doing wrong. What did uh, Coach Davis have to sh- have to say? <laughs> what did Coach Davis have to say? She? Uh, what did <laughs> how'd that press conference go following that game? Yeah, you know, so I was the only media member there um, in Murfreesboro as far as FIU contingency. And Butch Davis post game, you know, he handles losses fine, um, but when the team gets blown out and in that type of fashion, uh, it's not the most fun person to talk to, and I mean rightfully so. I can kind of ask him because something that we've talked about going for the past year and a half, the run defense has been an issue and all the guys in the program talk about fundamentals, technique, gap control, you know, playing your assignment. I asked him if that's what he saw. And he said, obviously you'd have to go back and take a look at the film, but he believes so when you have guys just bursting for 60 and 70 yard runs, you go back and look at the Asher O'Hara 53 yard run in the first quarter. Um, it looked like the defensive end. You, you can't have 11 guys try to make the tackle. It looked like the defensive end who had that backside contain just kind of, bit down too hard and left Asher O'Hara with a, you know, insane rushing gap, uh, a cutback lane to, to go through. Um, but yeah, outside of that, he just was really disappointed in the way his team handled the elements. You know, I, he, he was really flustered as to why uh, the offense just kind of fell apart. And that's something he said you have to look at. And uh, we actually got the quotes from middle Tennessee state coach, Rick Stocksville. And he said that their decision to run the ball or to pass the ball only one time in the second half was purely because of the weather. You know, they didn't go into the ball game planning to do that. So he was proud of the way his team handled the elements. FIU just fell apart otherwise. Yeah, so far, kind of the uh, defining performance of Asher O'Hara's season so far. So really helps when you have a a quarterback that can adapt to the elements that the way uh, the way that he did. Um, Maybe I'll learn how to talk at some point in this episode, but that remains to be seen. But the point remains, Asher O'Hara, after a couple of tough weeks in the last you know, few games, he's definitely uh, able to pick himself up in this one. So uh, we'll see if that continues, but um, 
got a week to celebrate, Blue Raider fans. And uh, with that, let's uh, jump into FAU and Old Dominion for a couple of minutes here. Uh, FAU wins this one 41-3. Blowout win for them, obviously. 208 passing yards for Chris Robison, two touchdowns and one interception. So not a mistake for a game for him, but solid nonetheless. And uh, got some Nick Tronti time in there as well. Lane Kiffin able to spread the wealth a little bit, which you know you would hope you'd be able to do when you get a score with a margin like this. And uh, my big criticism of Old Dominion remains uh, what it has been for most of the season, and that's their pass protection. It's so it's so horrible. Uh, six more sacks for them. If they're not, if, if they don't have the highest sack total in all of FBS right now, it has to be close. Yeah. Last time I looked at the numbers and that was prior to last week's game, I believe they'd given up something like, you know, in the high twenties or low thirties and sacks, which, you know, for, I don't care if it's pro football, college football, uh, high school football, it's not an area you want to be uh, in terms of, you know, your pass protection. And part of that, you know, may come down to the fact that you have two guys back there, whether it's Messiah DeWeaver or Stone Smart, who are looking to use their legs. And, of course, they may hold on to the football a little bit longer. But that aside, you know, those type of numbers are just insane. Um, I like to call that effect the Michael Vick effect. I don't know if you remember back in the day, Joe, that Michael Vick routinely was, you know, among one of the highest quarterbacks in sacks because he always was holding on to the football. But still, um, at some point, you got to be able to, to uh, protect the passer if you're going to make plays. For Old Dominion, you're not going to learn much, or excuse me, for FAU, you're not going to learn much by beating up on ODU. Uh, Butch Davis has a saying, you know, I, forgive me, FAU fans, for invoking the name of the FIU coach here in a recap, but Butch Davis has a saying that, you know, you don't learn anything, you know, when you beat a team 7-0, and I do wholeheartedly believe that. So, you know, Lane Kiffin, uh, I'm sure he will take the victory, but there's not much that you really learn about your team, especially when they're going to face, you know, a level up in competition against Western Kentucky by beating up on an old Dominion team that clearly is talent deficient and uh, for Bobby Wilder, it looks like he may be on his last coaching leg there in, old, at, uh, in Norfolk. Um, and then you talk about Chris Robson really quick. You know, we'll see what his status is for this upcoming game. I believe our buddy Jay Cummins from the Palm Beach Post uh, reported that today, as a matter of fact, that it does look like Robson will play. Uh, got a little Nick Tronti time in there because of the score and that Robinson got a little banged up in the ball game. So we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, all things considered, um, great win for FAU. Did what they're supposed to do. And then we'll split it next week and see what they can do against uh, Milton, Milton, Tennessee State. Wow, now me screwing up against Western Kentucky. <laughs> no worries, happens to all of us clearly. But with FAU getting that victory, I agree with you that they're not going to learn too much beating up on a team that's uh, in the kind of state that Old Dominion's in. However, three and one in conference play, five and three overall, that ties them with Marshall for second in the league, just one game behind Western Kentucky. So, uh, not a meaningless victory by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and then to wrap up the week nine recap, let's talk about Louisiana Tech beating UTEP 42 to 21. Uh, another complete game for the Texters. Six touchdowns. They forced three turnovers on defense. Another case of a team getting to spread the wealth a little with uh, plenty of different ball carriers for them. Uh, on the plus side for UTEP, arguably the best game as a passer of Kai Loxley's D1 career. 227 passing yards, career high for him. Uh, so, you know, there's only so much you can really take from a season like what UTEP's having once again. Uh, but certainly got to keep your head held high. Uh, one of their better performances of the year against the CUSA frontrunners. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I mean, for me, and, and I'll, I'll start with the point you make about Kyle Oxley. I don't even think it's arguable. I think this clearly was the best passing performance of, of his uh, D1 career. But for Tech, you know, 
Jamar Smith. We've talked about quarterbacks and consistency. This might have been his best ball game as a collegiate player, 29-35 for 338, three touchdowns, and more importantly, zero interceptions protecting the football. And once again, I like to see teams win in ways that, you know, they don't necessarily do it. Um, Jamar Smith really carried the team. You know, Justin Henderson had really been doing a great job getting, you know, getting yards and engineering this offense. He gets 17 carries for 65 yards, so not exactly a banner day despite his two touchdowns. But Israel Tucker comes in with eight carries for 56 yards and a score, so that was nice to see. And, uh, yeah, you know, it didn't have to be the Adrian Hardy show. It didn't have to be the Amika Robertson show, although he had a sack. I mean, he's just an all-around talented defensive player, you know, the talented defensive back, the fact that he's that size. And I think he has five sacks for his career. So that's uh, kind of a, a, a neat note for him, a guy who's 5'9", 185, coming off the, the edge there as a cornerback, as a, on a cornerback blitz. But, yeah, great win for Louisiana Tech. My thing for UTEP is I'm wondering at what point do we start to take a look at the future? You know, we know about Mr. Deion Hankins, you know, the, uh, the hometown kid from Texas, uh, from El Paso, uh, three-star recruited running back. Not to say that Trevon Hughes, by any stretch of the imagination, is the reason they're losing, but at some point you have to take a look at the guys who are going to be the future, as well as T.J. Godwin. Um, you got to see what you have there, because we know that Kyle Oxley is coming down to the last few games of his collegiate career. And for Dana Dimmel, I think at some point you have to take a look at what the future holds and uh, why not do it when you can get meaningful game action, game action as opposed to just doing it in practice. Now, the only thing I will say is you don't want to do it at the expense of your kids. You know, if they're, if they're clearly not – if they're that far behind where, you know, they're just not ready for game action, you don't want to put, throw, them to the, throw them to the proverbial wolves. But I think at some point you got to see what you have there. Yeah, at some point you would think they'd kind of make that move because I would imagine they don't want to stay in this state – forever and start getting uh, some wins more consistently. Uh, but I guess only time will tell and see if, uh, you know, in order to provide some support to him, let's see if uh, Dimmel can get a, uh, get a decent recruiting class together, which the jury's still out on that side of uh, side of his performance of the job, but uh, we'll see. So for the middle segment of today's show, we kind of have an addendum to something that we talked about a few weeks back with the passage of the the law in California that will um, allow D1 college athletes and all college athletes really to make money off of their likeness. And now with the news as of the day of this taping, the NCAA has uh, getting a rule out there to allow all college athletes within the NCAA to make money off their likeness. So, uh, Eric, I would love for you to kind of, you know, explain what, uh, what you got in your research on this uh, new rule. Yeah. So as we are taping this podcast here on Tuesday, October 29th, earlier this afternoon at 1.08 PM, the NCAA board of governors released a statement and I'm just going to read, uh, you know, some of the highlights to it. You, I'm sure by the time you have uh, listened to this podcast, you'll, be experts on it, you know, just like us. But hey, for those of you who haven't, you know, I'll bring up the speed. Um, so the NCA Board of Governors has started a process to enhance name, image, and likeness opportunities. So first off, just to make that clear, nothing has been passed, nothing is eminent. They are starting the process to explore it. Uh, it's something that obviously, at some point in time, you knew the NCA was going to go ahead and get involved because you couldn't just have all these states throwing things out there and the NCA be, you know, behind uh, the eight ball here on this. So to read some of the statements. In associations with, excuse me, in the association's continuing efforts to support college athletes, the NCAA's top governing board voted unanimously to permit students participating in athletics the opportunity to benefit from their name, image, and likeness in a consistent manner with the collegiate model. Here is a quote from Mr. Michael V. Drake, who is the president of the Board of Governors of the NCAA. We must embrace change to provide the best possible experience for college athletes. 
Additional flexibility in this area can and must continue to support college athletes as part of higher education. This modernization for the future is a natural extension of the numerous steps NCAA members have taken in recent years to improve the support of student-athletes, including full cost of attendance and guaranteed scholarships, end quote. So I'm just going to read a couple of the bullet points here, and then, you know, we'll kind of talk about some of the reaction that's been out there as it's still ongoing. Uh, so we're kind of like in the midst of it right now. Uh, a couple of bullet points. One, assure that student-athletes are treated similar to non-student-athletes unless a compelling reason exists to differentiate. Remember that point, because I'm going to come back to that in a second. Make clear the distinction between collegiate and professional opportunities. Make clear that to the comp that make clear that compensation for athletic performance or participation is impermissible. I think that's important. And lastly, reaffirm that student athletes are students first and not employees of the university. We can debate that till the cows come home, but we'll uh, make that point clear as well. The reason why I want to talk about the first point, Joe, uh, in terms of assuring that student athletes are treated similar to non-student athletes. Uh, in terms of, uh, unless a compelling reason exists otherwise. Uh, you know, we're not going to make this a political show, but uh, at, at times, uh, politics does mix with our sports. Uh, Senator Richard Burr from North Carolina, the Republican senator, replaced, released this on Twitter. He tweeted this out uh, in reaction to the statement. If college athletes are going to make money off of their licenses while in school, their scholarships should be treated like income. I'll be introducing legislation that subjects scholarships given to athletes who choose to, quote, cash in to income taxes. Uh, in layman's terms, he's saying if students are going to start, or if student athletes are going to start, you know, being able to monetize their likeness, he's going to start taxing their scholarships. To that, I say, what the hell are we talking about? As someone who attended the University of Central Florida on various scholarships, you know what I was able to do? work at Gray's Bookstore for 20 hours a week before I uh, got involved with communications and game ops. And guess what? My scholarships weren't taxed. So you're treating student athletes and regular students differently right there just by that tweet. I don't want him. Obviously, Richard Burr is not a member of the NCA committee. So let's, let's make that clear right now. We can differentiate between the two of them. But I just think that's the meaty part of this discussion where the instantaneous reaction has been all over the place. Um, Joe, I'll let you have at it. You know, we're all kind of learning about this on the fly. So uh, what's your POV, buddy? Sure. Um, I guess my reaction to what the uh, what the senator is talking about here, I think it was just kind of an instant reaction. I feel like he's going to learn pretty quick that that uh, there's a lot of reasons why that that doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of uh, taxing scholarships like income. If you want to put an income tax on the money that these athletes get from you know, for lack of a better term right now, endorsements, you know what I mean? Um, then I think that's one thing, but to tax the scholarship itself, that doesn't really make sense because like you mentioned, it's, it's two different things. Um, besides it's, it's not the same as getting money from an endorsement and getting a scholarship. It, it that I think, I feel like that's going to get changed as this thing evolves um, and I'm certainly not a, a finance or a tax scholar, but I feel like that's, that's going to get clarified as we go. Uh, but I feel like my feelings haven't really changed, uh, from when we talked about this thing in California where, um, I, I don't see how it really affects the integrity of the game. If athletes are able to make money off of their scholarships, the, it's really similar to the Olympic model. And I don't feel like that's really, uh, changed the sport all that much or changed the Olympics all that much rather. So 
Yeah, I feel like my feelings haven't really changed. It seems like this is going through the proper channels to get implemented at a national level. So I feel like that's good. And I mean, in terms of kind of the reactions that we're seeing there where, um, shocker, old people are mad about change. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super concerned about the legislation that's going to get passed because A, like, it's going to have to get figured out where this makes sense. And taxing college kids scholarships, it doesn't, it really doesn't help anybody. Like, it's, 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 what he's talking about is petty. You know what I mean? So, um, <laughs> Yeah. So. If, if you couldn't tell that this podcast is hosted by two millennials in their mid to late 20s, uh, I think Joe just kind of, you know, uh, blew the cover off of that right now. If, if you uh, if you didn't know that, because clearly um, our POVs in relation to um, somewhat older POVs, I try to say that respectfully, uh, respectively. Wow. OK. I try to say that respectfully. Um, it's just a little bit different. So, hey, what can you do? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll see. but. Like I said, times are changing. Deal with it. <laughs> Watch your football. Do your thing. I don't know. What are we talking about anymore? Anyway, uh, I guess we'll get into week 10 then if uh, we're all done with that. We got uh, Western Kentucky on tap against FAU this week at 4 p.m. Eastern, ESPN+. Plus. Uh, top's only favored by one and a half. This one's really critical for both teams because, like I mentioned during the recap, uh, WKU on top of the league still, but only by a game, FAU and Marshall tied for second place. So if FAU does win this game, uh, then we're going to have two teams, I believe, uh, tied. No, uh, I think FAU just will take the lead in the division. So that's really critical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm rolling with the tops for this game. I think the, uh, the defense is going to keep playing the way they have. Uh, if the special teams can get fixed, then I think they'll be fine. Um, and Gage Walker continues to just play the way he has. So I feel like if they can come out, get a good first drive going, and really establish the pace of the game, then I think the tops will come out uh, with the victory. Yeah, I am very much torn on this one. As you mentioned, FAU will not be in control of their own destiny because Marshall beat FAU and Western Kentucky. So they will not be in control of their own destiny. Let me clarify that. Mm-hmm. But um, FAU, I I think it's going to be a really I think it's a it's a it's a toss up game. I really think it's a pick 'em. What I am intrigued to see is can FAU win a game? Essentially, it's it's the old Mike Tyson analogy. You know, everyone has a play, everyone has a, a game plan that they get punched in the face. I'm really curious to see what FAU does when playing against one of the top defenses, not only in Conference USA but in the nation. I I'm not kind of you know making the assertion that FAU is a finesse team, but I think that styles make fights. And this is definitely going to be a Styles clash. I'm very much torn on this one, but I'm going to give the edge to the tops at home. I think they'll have learned their lesson from last week, and we're going to have to start quickly. Um, it's going to be a lot of Gage Walker. Um, Western will have to get those seven, eight, nine, and ten play drives going. Ten play drives going, so they can eat some clock up. Because we know that you know FAU's offense, they have one of the top ranked offenses in Conference USA in terms of scoring, and that they can score pretty quickly. So I think the game plan is really going to be to take. FAU off of the field and kind of eat up clock. And I think Western, uh, definitely not, you know, a huge victory, but I think they can win by three. In agreement on that one then. Uh, should be a really entertaining game. And again, you can catch that one on ESPN+. And uh, at noon, we have Texas A&M hosting UTSA on the SEC network. Uh, Aggies favored by 38 points there. Not much of a surprise. 
Um, UTSA coming off a bye week. Don't think that's going to really factor into things too much. Um, should be a fairly easy win for the Aggies. Yeah, I mean, if you're UTSA, I guess the only thing you want to see here are the guys who kind of rise to the occasion and play well against superior competition. Not expecting too much in the way of a, you know, chance for victory for UTSA. Uh, one player in particular I'll be looking at would be Lowell Narcis to see how he can perform. Uh, he obviously is going to be the guy the rest of the way with Frank Harris injured. And with that, you know, also another thing I guess, you know, probably keep an eye on from a Conference USA perspective um, is that Frank Wilson, you don't want to see him get blown out because then, you know, you kind of get those uh, whispers of, you know, what is his job status going to be. And, and uh, it's, it's okay to lose. Well, I shouldn't say it's okay to lose, but if they lose, it's one thing. But if they get blown out, it's another, and that's something that you have to keep an eye on. Absolutely. And then at uh, noon as well on ESPN Plus, FIU hosting Old Dominion. FIU favored by 16.5 right now. Um, you know, FIU, is, as many problems as they seem to have had in this early part of the season, Old Dominion having far more, as uh, they said, at 1-7 and 0-4 and and in conference play. Um, I feel like this will be a nice recovery game for FIU, and then they'll just be one win away from bowl eligibility. Yeah, uh, that's long and short, I expect FIU to win this game. What concerns me is that Old Dominion, uh, the passing attack obviously hasn't been there. The uh, rushing uh, attack, uh, in terms of offensively, you know, it, it's been hit or miss. But it, it was the same thing with Middle Tennessee State. You know, teams tend to uh, run the ball well against FIU if you can game plan for it. You know, um, UTEP was able to do some things. UMass wasn't able to. That's one thing. So I guess I, that's because kind of my buyer beware. It kind of keep an eye on that. But all things considered, I do expect uh, quarterback James Morgan. We had a nice ball game. You know, he moved into second place all time in FIU uh, career history and passing touchdowns in the win. Excuse me, in the the loss in Middle Tennessee State. I think he'll bounce back and really kind of you know engineer the shift. He's really always been the stabilizing force, not only for the offense but this entire team. You know, for a lot of these FIU guys, remember this is the last time they're going to play at Ricardo Silva Stadium at the Cage because the final home game will be at Marlins Park against Miami. So, you know, um, I'm not 100% sure if that's going to be senior day. I don't have the information on that, but that just gives them more incentive to come out there and, you know, want to turn things around and play their final home game on campus uh, and uh, leave with a victory. So I'm expecting FIU to win. With that, then, let's talk about Charlotte and Middle Tennessee State. They play on ESPN 3 at 3.30 Eastern. Uh, Blue Raiders favored by three points here. I think this is going to be another really interesting game, and I really feel like it could go either way based on how these two teams are playing right now. Um, so I really, it's just a gut call. And um, because of that, I'm going to go with MTSU because I feel like they have to have a lot of confidence in themselves right now based on how uh, Asher O'Hare and that rushing game played. And it's going to be a really tough test for Charlotte. Um, so if, again, this could go either way. Um, so I feel like if you're going to watch one game this weekend, it might have to be this one, honestly. You know what, Joe? I agree with you, but for a completely different reason as far as why this might be the one game you got to keep an eye on. This is a battle of two quarterbacks we mentioned who just, you know, they're gamers. You know, nothing flashy, not the biggest guys in the world. You know, they're not Peyton Manning or anything like that, but they, they're just gamers. They have the intangibles. They're going to do whatever it takes to get their team a victory. Two of my favorite players in conference, and Asher O'Hara and Chris Reynolds, you know, two guys who are 5'11 quarterbacks or going to use their legs to make plays. And I think they'll go tit for tat. Definitely think it's going to come down to which team can maybe, you know, make the most plays when the turnover battle or uh, maybe come down to a final drive there at the end of the game. 
I'm very much torn on this one, but I'm going to lean towards Charlotte at home only because of the fact that, A, they are at home. B, I think Alex Highsmith is due for another breakout game. You know, look for him to maybe cause some havoc back there. And C, I really like the momentum for Charlotte coming off of the victory with North Texas. I think they really need to, for just for their own psyche, to show that, hey, they can buy what Will Healy's selling. And um, I'm going to go with Charlotte. All right. Like I mentioned, if you watch one game this weekend, make it that one. I think it's going to be really, really entertaining. And then we have Rice hosting Marshall at 3.30. Um, can grab the TV information for that one in a second. But I feel like I'm pretty safe in saying Marshall has this one on lock. Um, while they've been sort of inconsistent this year, Isaiah Green clearly getting in a little bit of a rhythm here. Brendan Knox continues to be, in my opinion, uh, one of the better running backs in COSA, probably next to Trey Siggers in that regard. Um, but Marshall, I think they have enough going in their direction right now that they can win this one by at least two scores. Yeah, I'm picking Marshall as well. I just think there is somewhat of a, you know, quote-unquote formula for Rice to win. The first things you have to cause Isaiah Green to be inconsistent, and they have playmakers there with guys like Blaze Aldridge, you know, um, uh, George Nyquil back there and others. But I just don't think there's enough talent offensively for Rice to compete. Eventually, like you mentioned, Brendan Knox will get going on the ground, and that'll be too much, so Marshall gets the victory. Catch that one on Stadium's Facebook page. And with that, North Texas hosting UTEP at 3.30 Eastern on the NFL Network. Uh, North Texas favored by 23 points, according to Vegas right now. Um, North Texas, we talked about the issues that they have ad nauseum uh, this show and in previous episodes. But, uh, you know, the point remains that they're in better shape than UTEP is. Mason Fine continuing to play really well at quarterback, along with Trey Siggers uh, next to him in the backfield. So I, I, I would feel pretty confident putting money on North Texas in this one. Yeah, you know, not that I'm a betting man, but I, how, if I were, I absolutely would put my money on North Texas. Things I want to see from UTEP is just, you know, be competitive. Can Kyle Loxley put together another solid passing game, especially against a North Texas defense that is struggling? So that would be nice to see, both things considered. You know, I expect another five-touchdown game from Mason Fine and probably another big one from Trey Siggers as well. So North Texas will roll. An offensive explosion, it just might be. And to wrap up the weekend, we have Tennessee hosting UAB at 7 Eastern on ESPNU. Um, the Vols are favored by 12 as of now. I feel like, you know, as many bad things you could say about Tennessee at this point, they've looked significantly better the last two weeks. Um, and UAB, while obviously 6-1 and one is nothing to shake a stick at, especially in this league, um, you got to think that Tennessee is going to come to play, especially at home and, uh, you know, given that they've lost their last two games against uh, – G5 opponents, if you count BYU, which some would, uh, you got to think they have to have their head on their shoulders a little bit tighter or their, you know, whatever you want to call it in a game like this, considering how those last two have gone with losses to Georgia State and BYU at home earlier this year. Um, so I'm going to pick the Vols, but if uh, if UAB is able to pull this one out, I'll obviously be happy as a CUSA fan and um, I'll be laughing very hard as a uh, person who doesn't hate when the SEC uh, falters. Yeah, I'll go and make this short and sweet. Give me the Blazers. I absolutely think that they're going to go into uh, Neyland Stadium and get the victory just because I, I don't think Tennessee's very good. You know, sure, they look better past two weeks. That's fine. Uh, Tennessee hasn't looked good. I mean, 
Sorry if any Vols fans listen to this podcast. I don't know why you would be listening, but if you are, you guys haven't looked good in the past 20 years. So uh, outside of, uh, you know, national championship year with uh, Philip Fulmer and T. Martin. So, hey, tough. Um, <laughs> give me the Blazers. I absolutely think they have enough talent to go on there and compete. I think Spencer Brown, uh, you know, if they can get their running game, you know, they the play that, that type of UAB style of football. Uh, I have no reason to doubt Bill Clark at all at this point. And I just think that, you know, if you expect me to have confidence in a three and five SEC team, just because they're an SEC team, it's not going to happen. So give me the Blazers. <laughs> Fair. There's got to be one masochistic Tennessee fan that listens to our show. I would imagine there has to be one. I'm assuming his name's Tim. Hi, Tim. Anyway, um, with that, then we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, as Eric said at the top of the show, the positive feedback on this thing really you know, means a lot to us. This is a passion project, and uh, it's a lot of fun to do. So hopefully we uh, keep continuing to uh, get to do it. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore at Eric C. Henry underscore. And then, of course, at Underdog Dynasty. Uh, give them a follow, like Underdog Dynasty on Facebook as well. Check out the site every day. We'll keep updating you on all the happenings in G5 football, in uh, Conference USA, and beyond. And uh, with that, say happy football watching. Come on back next week. Mm-hmm.